Welcome, Sal. We're back with another episode of the High Ground Powered by Premier Companies, and we have uh, regional agronomist uh, Glenn Longaball with us again today, and uh, we're going to talk fungicides, a lot of different aspects of fungicides, but uh, but we're going to kick it off with uh, with infero fungicides and looking at uh, whether that is the new easy way to protect our crops. So I'll let you kick it off with them. Several topics today, and I'm not sure what we'll title this one. Um, we may have to call this the grab ba- grab bag of fungicides. So, so uh, Glenn, let's start off in furrow and work our way to the top, and uh, maybe get up twenty thousand feet and talk about aerial applications here at the end. Perfect. So, Glenn Longaball, our uh, region agronomist for Premier Companies. So, Glenn, let's start with the in furrow fungicides because I know coming off of this year, we had a lot of questions about some pretty product specific ones. <laughs> and tell us what we saw and uh, where we're going, where we're at today with those practices, and then we'll move into some yeah. above ground. Yeah, well, it's great to be with you guys today. And um, boy, what a you know what a wonderful topic. And and <laughs> I love to tell, cover topics that I've actually had you know, a fair amount of experience with. And if you'll remember, I showed you about four years ago, uh, uh, we had some trials where we used prothioconazole, which is proline in furrow. And I told you at that time that what we were after was crown rot. And uh, we're looking for a way to mitigate these early season infections that set up housekeeping and actually predispose the plant late in its life. And um, the, the product that we, that we kind of, um, oh, it did have a, it did have a label at that time was uh, prothioconazole. The problem with prothioconazole was that it really doesn't mix well with other things, right? It was really a, a, a problem with delivery and logistics. It, it wasn't compatible. I mean, it'll barely stay in water, let alone stay in liquid fertilizer. And so uh, fast forward a couple of years and FMC actually brought another triazole called, called Zyway or flu triathol uh, to market. And they are selling this as kind of season long control, which we don't necessarily agree with, but there's obviously some, some value. There's some merit here uh, in making fungicide applications in furrow. And for some people that's really convenient, right? If you're already making, uh, you know, in furrow applications or tube two applications, then here's a way that maybe you could mitigate um, some of that fungal risk or mitigate some of that risk around application timing uh, by just having it on early. And so um, uh, we actually tested this product, the Zyway, uh, for a couple of years in the answer plot. We got to look at it kind of the year ahead of its launch. And I can tell you that there was a, there was a small incremental uh, gain where we use Zyway. Now, I can tell you that there are a few uh, caveats with Zyway. And, and last year, we saw this in a big way in spots, right? Uh, there were a lot of complaints about emergence with Zyway. And so that's caused FMC to kind of rethink how they bring this to market. So last year, it was all about just put it in furrow. Uh, you know, they had kind of a big rate in there. Uh, you're going to get season-long control. Well, I can tell you that myself and my peers, and, and even if you look at answer plot data, First of all, I don't want any grower to listen to this podcast and believe that it is season-long control, right? When you use a product like 
like Zyway Inferro, or you make a V5, V8 uh, fungicide application foliarly, you will often see season-long effects, right? In other words, you can see it even at the end of season, you'll still see the effects of having a fungicide versus not having a fungicide. But that is entirely and completely different than saying you have season-long control. Right. And I know this because at the Dale and Supply site where we did have Zyway and Furrow, we had uh, Zyway, we had uh, V10 applications of uh, Veltima, and then we came back and made uh, R2 applications uh, over the top. And I can tell you that those applications that or those trials where it was the inferral or it was the early application alone without an R2 following it were substantially behind. I mean, they were substantially ahead of totally untreated, but they certainly do not take the place of an R application. So they does not really season long control. That's a good way to now, put it. Season, uh, season long effects, maybe not, not season long control. So that's a- that is correct. Yep, Very good. Yep. And I can tell you that that actually internally, we, uh, uh, so last spring, I had to walk a lot of complaints around Zyway kind of retarding emergence. And uh, we couldn't really place a finger on it. I really thought that it was potentially interaction with another triazole that we have as a seed applied treatment, not in furrow. And I thought maybe it was the two together causing this problem. And so we set up a pretty elaborate protocol, uh, ran it through the growth chamber at River Falls. And uh, the results were this, right? It was not actually the interaction of the two triazoles at all. It has more to do with environmental conditions. So, so this when we make a, a Zyway application, a uh, flu trifle application in furrow, that plant takes it up early. And, and if you have less than optimal conditions, it will slow, it will retard germination. That doesn't mean it kills them off. It just slows germination. It slows emergence. But we know that that's really, really important. Um, and, and if it was an 80 degree environment, there was little or no effect whatsoever. If it was a 55 degree environment, there was a significant impact on emergence from Zyway. You can, uh, uh, something else I kind of admitted earlier was in our answer plot sites, we had four locations two years ago and every location, the Zyway actually reduced the stand but in three of the four locations, there was a significant increase in yield from having Zyway. Hmm. And so FMC has done a really good job of, of um, you know, they didn't, they didn't just try to hide from this problem. They tried to find a remedy. And I think what they've decided on is they're just going to take away um, the, 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 when it comes to application, they're probably going to take away this uh, in furrow, right? If you use furrow jets and you're going to put it off to the sides and stop up the middle hole, they're going to approve that. They're going to approve a two by two, two by zero, any, anything we can do to maybe get it off away from the seed uh, is going to be a, a good way to put on uh, Zyway this, this coming season. So I, I'm not saying that this product doesn't have um, a good fit for some growers, but it's not the only way to control disease, right? Our V5 to V10 applications, those, those applications have really been successful. Uh, again, they afford us to move our R application from R1 back to R2, R2.5, maybe even R3, and allow us to really get better control of those late season diseases like southern rust and tar spot. Okay, very good. And you uh, started off with with crown rod. Is that still 
Uh, does the Zyway take care of that even at the placement where you're talking now, or is there another option for Crown Rock? Yeah, great question, Sal. So I've actually looked at several different products. I've looked at the, the flu trifol product, which is Zyway. We've looked at uh, Prothioconazole. We've looked at Diphenconazole, which is a component in, uh, you know, some of the uh, Miravis brands, right? We have Miravis Top, which has Diphenconazole in it. Uh, it's also a, a fungicide that's used pretty extensively in California for vegetables. And of those triazoles, all three of them seem to have some effect on crown rot, but I would still give the edge to perthioconazole. And we visited with Bayer not long ago, and they still do have a label for perthioconazole in furrow. Uh, but I can tell you that it's just, you know, the problem with perthioconazole is it's just not very compatible with other products, right? Where Zyway is a liquid fertilizer ready um, formulation. Okay. Well, let's move above ground. Um, let's not get in the aerial application yet, but let's, uh, when we talk about soybeans, we think about fungicide applications and we see a lot of airplanes and helicopters flying on, on, uh, corn, but what about uh, the soybean applications? And I think now we've, uh, for those who have started doing this, we've got such a range of adoption from growers who use fungicides on soybeans. We have some that are moving into two applications and we've got some that are still trying to, uh, determine if they're going to use one application of fungicides. And yeah. Soybeans. Yeah. So tell yeah. us about the, uh, give us the uh, introductory and then the graduate of, uh, level courses of the benefits of using, uh, insecticides and fungicides in soybeans foliar. Yeah. Well, I'll have to admit that this probably has more to do with psychology than agronomy. And I really, <laughs> when I took psychology in conference, that's just one of those humanities that they forced you to take. I had no interest at all, but, um, but here's what I would tell you. Yeah. So, so I am a firm believer on fungicides and soybeans, and I'm a firm believer that we need to make multiple passes, right? Uh, my yield check for the local yield contest this year, I had one that was, um, uh, I had a one Oh, uh, 4.5. I had a 99.7 and I had a 104.7, right? Those were my three, my three two acre blocks. And, um, and I still feel like I probably had a spot in the field that was, that was better than that. Right. Cause I had about uh, out of 175 acres, I had about 35 acres that were, you know, there was in excess of a hundred bushel, but uh, you know, when you do contest, you got to pick a spot and yeah. then you take these blocks out. But, you know, I would never dream of trying to raise high yield soybeans without making multiple fungicide applications, right? When I said it's more about psychology, you know, when we talk about aerial versus ground, it probably has more to do with how we think it does than what the difference actually is. I can tell you that there is very little difference between ground application and aerial application. Right. Yes, you're talking about two gallons per acre versus maybe 15 or 20 gallons per acre, but these are not like herbicides, right? The majority of the time, what we're trying to protect is the upper part of the plant. In soybeans, we do need to protect the bottom part of the plant, but oftentimes we can't get there with ground or aerial application. So that's why we're making multiple applications on soybeans. If you come to one of our high yield soybean clinics, right, and I know they, they, they're 
you know, they're pretty salty. They're two and a half, three hours long. But one of the things we do is describe why it is that we make a fungicide pass about the time the rows close. Because when those rows close, that's when the, the crop really becomes susceptible, right? That's when you have favorable environmental conditions deep in the canopy that really favor diseases like septoria. And so if we make uh, fungal applications at that time, it makes no difference whether we do it aerially or we do it ground applied, we're going to get uh, a fungicide on those lower leaves and protect them, uh, you know, much deeper into the season. And then later we come back typically at R3 or if we've made an R1, R2 application, we'll typically delay that R3 application into an R4 uh, R4.5 application because the dirty little secret about high yield soybeans, Sal, Ryan, is that we abandon soybeans entirely too soon, right? The most of the yield is actually built very late in a soybeans life cycle, right? The soybeans do not start developing until we get to R5, right? We've got pods developed at R4, but we don't actually start building the seeds until R5. And so there's about a two and a half, three week window uh, that we really want to, we don't want any diseases. We don't want any insects. We don't want anything to actually contribute to predisposing that plant. And so we may generally make those applications just on the front side of that. When we made one application, right? I, just to be clear, when we made one application of fungicide, then we made it at R3 because if you delay it any longer, then septoria and the early season diseases kill you. And if you do it any earlier, then you poop out, right? You run out of disease control. You stop mitigating disease when you get into the absolute most important time of a soybean's life. Again, we probably abandon soybeans most years. We abandon soybeans entirely too soon. The reason why the old timers say that the story of soybean yield is written in August is because that's when the, that's when the pods are filling, right? That's typically we don't go into R five until the tail end of the tail end of August, depending on the maturity, depending on the planting date, right? But um, yeah, it's it's really not a debate about which one. It's more of a debate about just using fungicides. And, and personally, I'm a firm believer in multiple applications on soybeans. You just can't go out willy-nilly, right? It's not just a chore to get off your list. I had growers last year that I still consult in Illinois that have been bought in and they've raised 100 bushel beans. But now they see it not as a system. They kind of see it as a recipe. And so they know they're going to make two fungicide applications. And we've got the we've got this done and we got this done. We got our side dressing done. We got this application. Well, heck, what's next? Time? Oh, let's go spray fungicides. Well, you know, soybeans are our V5. They're not ready to be sprayed yet. I know it's nice to get things off of our plate, but again, this it, it, that's not the right agronomic time, right? Uh, and so that's why I started out saying, I'm not sure this is more about, <laughs> sometimes yeah. this is more about psychology yeah. than agronomy. <laughs> so let's jump into that just a little bit more on the, on the ground versus aerial. I mean, the argument is out there that we're talking about, especially when we do our corn, um, we've, we've always seen the advantage fungicide, regardless. It, it does seem like that, uh, here lately though, the push has been, it's gotta be on the ground. It's gotta be 15 gallon to the acre. You, you've actually seen 
some results that say that that's not that significant of a difference. And as we talk about that um, with with growers, uh, as the account managers run into some resistance to say, well, you don't have the proper ground equipment to to handle this. I mean, there's a timing piece of that too versus not just which one's working better, but there's also the risk of, hey, if it rains three inches uh, uh, when the silks start popping, we've got a problem if we're reliant simply on the ground. So uh, talk us through that just a little bit. I know you've hit on it with soybeans, but in corn in particular, um, that is such a, that's almost an emotional conversation anymore. Well, it is, right? You're back to psychology again. I can tell you that the data would suggest that there's very little difference between aerial applications and ground applications. Is there a difference in coverage? Absolutely. But let's talk about where, what, what part of the plant are we really trying to protect when we get to our applications? We're not trying to protect the bottom of the plant. We're trying to protect the top of the plant, right? And so when we make our applications, I'm talking about, you know, tasseled, flowered applications on, right? We're really trying to protect from the ear leaf up. And you will get plenty of coverage with an aerial application from the ear leaf up. Now, if you want to go all the way down, uh, you know, to the to the uppermost leaf that's that's not burnt off from from nitrogen, uh, you know, a uh, lack of nitrogen, right? That's fired up. Then yes, ground application will go much deeper. I mean, I'm not here to debate whether ground application gets better coverage deeper in the canopy, but if we're talking about the upper part of the canopy, there's very little difference. Now, let me tell you why this becomes almost academic. We have done several trials, right? I've seen John Zip do this. Uh, I've seen uh, uh, Mark Heineman. I've seen different folks that have gone in and stripped the leaves off of the top of plants in the answer plot, right? In other words, they go in and they take all the leaves from the ear leaf up off of the plant. There's other plants, the other strips, they'll go in and they'll take all the leaves off of the bottom of the plant. And then I've had, and then they'll go into a third trial and they'll only remove just the ear leaf. And interestingly enough, if you want to really hurt corn yields, go in after, just shortly after flowering and you remove all those upper leaves and it'll have a profound impact on yield, right? I mean, we're talking 40, 50% yield loss. You go in and remove the ear leaf. Right. Leave the top leaves, but just take the ear leaf off and you'll still experience pretty significant yield loss. Right. It, it, it may be, you know, in excess of 10 percent or around 10 percent, but you can take all those lower leaves off. Right. Once you get to the R stage and you'll experience very little yield loss. Typically, it's much less than than what you got, you know, or slightly less than what you got from just removing the ear leaf alone. And so what that speaks to, right, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. It's the, the most important part of the plant when we're talking about grain fill is from the ear leaf up. And so if that's the part that really needs to be protected, you can see that it really makes very little difference between aerial or ground application, right? If I had to make a picking order, I would say ground application is maybe a percent or two better than aerial application. And aerial application, you know, it, you know, fixed wing might be a percent or two above uh, a rotary, you know, and and those would all be a few percent above. Uh, irrigation, right? 
uh, using chemigation. You would think chemigation, right? If it was all about coverage, you would think chemigation would be by far head and shoulders better than aerial or ground. And yet it comes in a little bit behind because of dilution effect, right? Even when we take these modern pivots and speed them up to where we're only putting a quarter of an inch on, right? Or, or maybe even slightly less, remember that a quarter inch of water is probably about, you know, it's well over 6,000 gallons of water per acre. And so it's really about the concentration, right? Hmm. So if it was all about coverage, you would expect chemigation to give you the best control. And actually it follows rotary craft, rotary follows fixed and fixed follows ground, but they are all so close together, right? This all becomes academic. I don't care how growers put it on, right? Uh, you know, I can tell you that that growers, though, do not like, not all growers, there are some people that absolutely love it, but I think they're the oddities. Most growers do not like driving through standing corn, right? It's you know, like one of the things I hate about side dressing on bigger corn is when you get to the ends and you butcher them and you've got corn laying every which way and you know during good well it's not going to stand up, right? And you feel like you're hurting the crop. Uh, you go out into standing corn with a high clearance sprayer and you better be pretty callous to that or you better hire somebody else to do it because it'll drive a normal person absolutely berserk. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, that's a, that's a long day whenever you see tassels hitting your windshield all day. Absolutely. Absolutely. It actually takes, I, I, I thoroughly believe that it takes a different person to go out and drive through tasseled corn all day. I tell you what, Glenn, I think you've about covered it on the topic for us today. Uh, we appreciate you uh, being available for us once again. And uh, you're participating it's, it's in our podcast. Yeah, it's my pleasure, guys. Uh, I think this is this is time well spent, and I'm glad that we have this 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 uh, way to communicate with our growers. All right, Ryan, I think that wraps us up for another uh, edition of the podcast. All right, Glenn, thank you very much, and Sal, uh, another episode of the High Ground powered by Premier Companies. All right, thanks, Glenn. Thanks. thanks.